What a wonderful privilege to be back with the ADC community, the community that began my spiritual formation. Thank you, Dr. Blythe, for inviting me. This is also a special place. I remember the round chapel up there, which is all marked off, or you can't get into it. But uh, I also spent a fair amount of time here at Manning Chapel, both as, for the Passion Plays and, uh, and also uh, just various other services and things. So it's just a wonderful feeling to be back and to see so many people out. So let's draw upon the power of God in this moment. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So my title is Between the First and Eighth Floors. When I was a teenager, growing up in the valley, I remember being present when a neighbor was selling his home after living in it for 25 years. And he was about to get into his car and move to Halifax. I was standing in the driveway with him when he started to drift off into his own little world as if I wasn't even there. And he he looked at the house and he said, this is where my three children grew up. Now I was young at the time, I was a teenager, but I was old enough to hear in his words some intense and dear memories. I experienced the power of memory in the fall of 2015 when I was called to the hospital, Ottawa General Hospital, to visit a a, a congregant who was in my fellowship at First Baptist Ottawa. The congregant happened to be on the same floor, the eighth floor, the same floor that my wife Carrie spent five weeks uh, in intensive care just prior to the birth of our son Samuel. I hadn't been back to that eighth floor since they released my son from the neonatal intensive care unit. That was several months before. What a neat feeling to go back and travel those elevators, those same elevators that for a period of our lives were such an important part of our routines. And so on that day when I went to pay that pastoral visit, I was reminded of an incident that had happened many months earlier in the same elevator. So I was on my way to the eighth floor When some other people, there were a number of other people in the elevator. Uh, The elevator stopped, I think it was at the third or the fourth floor. There were a lot of people coming and going that day. So just getting on and off of the elevator required everyone to have a fair amount of patience. A a couple were holding hands and they exited the elevator without really paying attention to all the people around them. And they ended up cutting off a woman who was rushing to meet, to get, to catch the elevator before the doors shut. And they ended up cutting her off. She had to stop abruptly, and consequently she dropped one of her bags. They continued on their way without really blinking an eye. She was obviously irritated, and she raised her voice. Some people just don't have any manners. And if it hadn't been for a kind man who held the door... She probably would have missed it. She jumped onto the elevator, the doors shut, and the two of them began to huff and puff about the nerve of some people. 
remember thinking there was deep judgment in their voices. And so our gospel reading this morning features Jesus saying, Judge not that you be judged. Easy stuff, right? Easy teaching, right? Everyone's rolling their eyes. It's one of the more difficult teachings of our Lord, especially in light of what's happening in our world when we see injustice, when we see things that shouldn't be happening, that are happening. Especially when you've been wounded by another. Not to judge? Are you serious, Lord? That person treated me poorly. So instead of me standing here and trying to fuddle my way through, let's say, a half-witted or even a half-hearted interpretation of our passage, I decided I would stand upon the shoulders of a giant, someone whose life was taken from him by a demonic regime. That, of course, is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was killed by the Nazis in 1945. On July 8, 1934, just a week after the horror had spread throughout Britain that Hitler's cronies had killed over 200 of Hitler's opponents, Bonhoeffer preached a sermon in London on our Gospel text in Matthew 7. In the face of that horrible act of violence against people, many of whom Bonhoeffer knew, He surprised the London congregation by telling them not to judge, but to repent. Later in a letter to a friend, he would even go so far as to say, we are the ones to be converted, not Hitler. How could he say this? Was he lumping together the common, everyday average Christian with Hitler and the Nazis? Well, on some level, of course, no. He knew that the average Christian does not commit such demonic atrocities. And yet, he knew the scriptures well enough to know that the human heart is prone to misguided assessments, not only of ourselves, but of others. It was his great insight, I think, that is Bonhoeffer, To know the human tendency to measure ourselves in relation to our fellow human beings. And when we do this, it becomes a very slippery slope for ethics. When he said we must be converted, Bonhoeffer was talking about the church. The church which, especially in Germany, had been compromised and indoctrinated with all kinds of terrible doctrines. And when this happens, the saints of God, even good, well-intended saints of God, live according to the standards of self-justification. And the person of Jesus Christ no longer becomes our standard of truth and of ethics. Instead, when this happens, Believers tend to say, I'm in right standing with God because I'm not like those others over there or those others over there. Now, whoever those others may be and how misguided those others may be, Bonhoeffer knew that all of us come to God with our own bumps and our bruises. Yet, 
judge not that you be not judged is no easy teaching, is it? Because Jesus, and of course the whole of the New Testament, can hardly be considered authority to stop conforming to Christ. This is so because the Jesus of the New Testament doesn't give us a license to stop discerning the opposite. In the same chapter from our Gospel lesson today, Jesus warned followers to be on their guard against false prophets, encouraging them to have enough discernment to avoid giving to dogs what is holy and to be careful not to cast pearls before swine. Those are Jesus' words, they're not mine. In Ottawa, there's a a philanthropist named Dave Smith. He's an elderly man. He likes to tell a story about meeting the parents of a girlfriend who was well-to-do. Now, Dave's father was a humble shoemaker, and Dave was quite conscious of that. And so he's sitting at the dinner table with his girlfriend and her well-to-do parents. It's a fancy dinner table when when the question comes. Came. What does your father do? Dave was so conscious. He said, well, he saves souls. <laughs> he didn't lie, even though he didn't reveal the full truth of the matter. But Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. He wants to get to our hearts. Because he's in the business of saving those other kind of souls. And he, take, he helps us to take hold of the new life he would have for us by teaching us not to judge, but to repent. So friends, I want to return to the story of the day I was traveling between the first and eighth floor, and I witnessed that occurrence. As I said before, there was a couple who were exiting the elevator And in the process, they weren't paying attention to other people. And they cut off a woman who was rushing to make the elevator. She dropped something. She was upset, and so she raised her voice, saying, Some people just don't have any manners. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. As we were waiting on the first floor, before the elevator opened, I overheard a conversation between that couple. The man had tears in his eyes as he said to a woman who was presumably his partner, it's leukemia. Her face turned white, her lips began to quiver until he reached out and gave her a tender hug. What are we going to do, said the lady. Ding, the elevator door opens. And we all shuffled on. You know, one of the things I often wonder when I think about that event, why didn't I say something? But instead I just sat there or stood there and and watched it unfold. I thought about asking if they needed help, but I didn't in the end. So we went up a couple of other floors and the man who had just moments later hold the door, he entered. And up we went to another floor and everything unfolded. So from that incident, I've learned, I think, two valuable lessons. 
The first is the folly of making rash judgments. It's a tendency we humans have. You see, I watch the angry lady and the man who hold the door pour scorn on someone that they, a couple that they had no idea about the full story behind it. And it even made me a little angry at first until it hit me that I was doing the exact same thing to them. Maybe the woman who was in a rush had just received bad news herself. Or perhaps the man who held the door was on his way to visit a relative who was seriously sick. I didn't have the full story. And so why was I so quick to judge? Let us be kind to one another, said Ian McLaren many years ago, for most of us are fighting a hard battle. And that leads me to my second point that I learned in the elevator that day. If we must judge others, if we must, why don't we assume the best and not the worst? Friends, when a person fears that they're being judged, there's a tendency for them to judge others, and then the cycle continues. And so when Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged, he was trying to, I think, free us from the accusatory cycles of judgment because they impede our liberty as Christian believers. Jesus knows, I think, that we need that freedom. And Jesus knows that God alone can know the full story of those who travel from the first to the eighth floor. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, you do know our hearts, and you know the times when we are prone to judge. Father, we do that even when we don't have the full story. And so we repent. In the silence of our hearts now hear that repentance. Amen.